Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. My name is Doug, and we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, thinking through God's Word together. Glad that you all are with us. Good morning, everyone. Glad you got your extra coffee, uh, Alan, and I uh, hope you're all ready to dive in. So we are working our way through Romans 9 through 11, uh, but before we dive into the text, I need to do my uh, reminder that a week from tonight, April 18th, we will start our next New Covenant School of Theology course, and that is a course where we're going to look at the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. And if you'd like to audit a class or even sign up to get a certificate of biblical theology, or if you're really ambitious to get a Master of Divinity, go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org, hit apply, and send us your application, and we will get back to you right away. We'd love to have you join us uh, for that course. I think you'll find it uh, interesting, especially in light of some of the things we've been talking about here. All right, so we are continuing, like I said, through Romans 9 through 11, and I, I'm really encouraged by the feedback I'm getting, by the comments, the interchanges, uh, people reaching out to me. Uh, I can see that uh, some eyes are opening, and uh, and we're beginning to see how... Uh, Paul is not arguing here from an abstract theological perspective, but he is simply expounding the scripture. He is revealing uh, what the Old Testament has been saying all along about God and Israel and, and, uh, and so on. So I, I'm encouraged. And I know some of you have expressed things like, how did I miss this? Or I've taught this to others wrong, or I don't really know the Bible very well, or the people who teach me don't know the Bible very well. And, and, and yes, that's you know, that's true for a lot of us. But the good news is the Lord now is showing you. It's here. It's, we're just walking through the scriptures. So uh, glad you are with us, and I hope you're seeing all that. All right, so when, when we look at chapter 9 and 10 and 11 of Romans, we see Paul quoting over and over again from the Old Testament. Now, here is one of the things that we have to do as students of the Word. When the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, if you're really going to understand the point that's being made in the New Testament, you have to go back and look at the Old Testament and its context. This is hard work. And I know I keep saying this to you, but it, it, it's hard work. There are a lot of people, a lot of Bible teachers that don't take the time to do that because it's so much easier to just open a commentary, read a theology book, read the words of man, and formulate our opinions based on the word of man. We must not do that. We need to be people of the word, right? So when you see the New Testament quoting the Old Testament, go back and look at several chapters on either side of the quote. The New Testament authors do not simply grab verses from the Old Testament that say what they want to say. They don't do soundbite theology like we often do. They don't have coffee cup verses where they just put a, uh, a verse out of context uh, on their coffee cup or on a plaque on their wall. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, how many people have you seen that on their wall? I know the plans I have for you, and they think that means America, for instance, or something. No, that's not what Jeremiah is talking about there. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and that means I can I can get this job. I know I can. I know I can. No, that's not what Paul is talking about. We, we, we just like to grab these verses out and make bold promises uh, about them, that kind of thing, without knowing the context and what's really being said. Well, the, the, the apostles did not do that with the Old Testament. 
And this is hard work, but it's worth it. So go back and dig in. And if you don't know your Old Testament, if you don't understand the storyline, if you if, if you don't really get what's going on with Israel, then make that a big part of your your training is, is read the Old Testament and catch the story and catch what's going on. So we're going to do some of that. I'm going to slow down the train here a little bit. We're going to do some of that. And, uh, and I want to help teach you how to go about this. Uh, in Romans 2... This may seem like a strange place to go here. Uh, but at the end of Romans 2, Paul says uh, something here. Uh, here it is. Uh, verse 25 that I want to show you. Way back early in Romans, he says, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. Right? So you're circumcised. You're a Jew. You're under the law. That's great. Circumcision has value if you keep the law, if you practice it. But if you are a transgressor of the law, if the Jew breaks the law, he says your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Now, is Paul simply grabbing a, a concept and, and making a deduction here? Your, your circumcision has become uncircumcision? Well, you can probably tell by the way I'm asking the question. No, no. Paul has Old Testament thinking in his mind as he says this. So that's a pretty strong statement. You see that? Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. He's not talking about what actually happens in your flesh, in your body. But he's saying the purpose of circumcision, you, you being a Jew, you basically become a Gentile if you don't keep the law. Well, he's simply referring to things that God said to Israel way back Hundreds, 700 plus years uh, before. Let me walk through some of this. Jeremiah 9. You probably know Jeremiah 9. In fact, let me just ask you, uh, do, is there any verse from Jeremiah 9 that you know, verse that, uh, that again, we might put on our coffee cups? Maybe we have plaques. Any, any Jeremiah 9, there's a, there's a passage there that's pretty popular. I just want to see if anybody can get it. And while I'm waiting to see if anybody has a a memory verse from Jeremiah 9. Let me see what Dale said. I remember my disappointment when I realized I had forever lost an opportunity for an NT wrong joke. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, those of you who aren't familiar with NT right, you may not know why he thinks that's funny and why I think that's funny. All right. Anybody have anything from, uh, from Jeremiah 9? Well, I'm not going to take a lot of time here and I realize there's a delay. Maybe somebody will get it. But uh, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul quotes that several times in the New Testament. Uh, if anyone, don't let the rich man boast in his riches. Don't let the wise man boast. Don't let the uh, strong man boast in his strength. But anyone who boasts, let him boast and know that uh, boast that he knows me. You've heard that probably, right? But again, do we know the context? And and I'm going somewhere with this for Romans nine. So just hang with me. So Paul quotes that in First Corinthians, for instance. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's go back and catch some of the context of Romans 9, verse 4 and following. This is the Lord saying, let everyone be on guard against his neighbor. These are talking to Jews here. Let, let everyone be on guard against his neighbor and do not trust any brother because every brother deals craftily. These are Jews. This is God's judgment on Jews, his, his evaluation of Jews. Every brother deals craftily. Every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. He looks down on his people and he sees they're just a bunch of liars and deceivers. Everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. 
This is not talking about mankind. This is talking about Israel, apostate Israel in, in Jeremiah's day. They're, they grow weary. They are tired from all of the iniquity they're committing. They're liars. Your dwelling is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. My people do not know me because they're all about deceit. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and assay them. For what else can I do because of the daughter of my people? I have no choice but to punish them. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceit. You see all these comments about their words. With his mouth, one speaks peace to his neighbor, but inwardly he sets an ambush for him. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? On a nation such as this, shall I not avenge myself? God's saying, how can I not? My people are so wicked. How can I not punish them for their wickedness? For the mountains, I will take up a weeping and a wailing, and for the pastures of the wilderness, a dirge, because they laid waste so that no one passes through, and the lowing of the cattle is not heard. Both the birds of the sky and the beasts have fled. They are gone. So it's going to be, they're just going to be wiped out. They're going to be destroyed. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins. Jerusalem, my, my city, the city of David, God says, I'm going to make it a heap of ruins and a haunt of jackals. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. God says, I'm so angry. I'm going to destroy my city and my people. Who is the wise man that may understand this? Who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined, laid waste like a desert so that no one passes through? Why? Why is it destroyed? The Lord says, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but have walked after the stubbornness of their heart, after the bales as their fathers taught them. You see, this goes back generations. My people, they walk, their hearts are stubborn. Uh, they're, they're serving the Baals of their fathers, these false gods their fathers taught them. This is the Jews he's talking about. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have annihilated them. This is God predicting the annihilation of his people. Thus says Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women that they may come and send for the wailing women that they may come. These professional mourners, these, these, these women who that's, that's sort of their job is to mourn. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may shed tears and our eyelids flow with water. For a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How are we ruined? We are put to shame for we have left the land because they have cast down our dwellings. Now hear the word of the Lord, O you women, and let ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing and everyone her neighbor a dirge. For death has come through the windows and has entered our palaces to cut off the children from the streets, the young men from the town squares. Speak thus, says the Lord, the corpses of men will fall like dung on the open field and like the sheaf after the reaper, but no one will gather. Sobering stuff, right? This is God saying, because of the wickedness of my people, uh, the, the, the slayers are going to come through the windows and just wipe everybody out and it's going to be a heap of ruin and the corpses are going to be laying on the ground. It's in that context that God says, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom 
Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. If you're going to brag about something, brag that you know the Lord. Well, what about the Lord? That I, lo- that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. God is a loving, kind God, but he's also a God of justice and righteousness, and that means he will not simply turn a blind eye to wickedness. Even his people here, uh, he loves them, but in their wickedness, he says, I can do no other. I delight in loving or in righteousness and justice, and I will destroy them because I delight to punish wickedness. That's who I am, God says. But he, he's also a God of love and compassion. You see, they're both true of him. This is his character. This is who he is. He's just against unrighteousness, and he's compassionate toward unrighteousness. But he doesn't stop there. Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Physically, they have the mark of circumcision on them. This is the Jewish people, and yet they're uncircumcised. What do you mean by that, God? Well, he lists all these Gentile nations, Egypt and Judah. See the two together? Egypt and Judah, Edom and the sons of Ammon, Moab and all those inhabiting the desert who clip the temple on their temp, uh, hair on their temples, for all the nations are circ- uncircumcised. So in the midst of all of these Gentiles who are not circumcised, he throws Judah in there, puts them all in the, house of, uh, in, the, in the category of uncircumcised, and then he says all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. Paul says... If you don't keep the law as a Jew, haven't, hasn't your circumcision become uncircumcision? You're just like the Gentiles who don't have the law. You're no better, and you deserve God's wrath. Okay, so I just want to show you that Paul has the Old Testament in mind constantly when he's teaching. And here, especially in Romans 9, he's got big chunks of the Old Testament in mind. And, and we have to have them in mind, too, if we're going to understand what he's saying. So chapter 9 he is responding to this, this concern. It's not as though the word of God has failed. When God judges most of Israel and most of Paul's comrades, most of the, the Jews of Paul's day have rejected the Messiah and they are not receiving the benefits of the Messiah and they're under God's wrath, that does not mean God's word has failed. God has always had compassion on some, and then judged the rest. That's been his MO all through the scripture. And Paul says, it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are from Israel are Israel. Not everyone who descends from Jacob, whose name was transferred to Israel, whose name was changed to Israel, not all who descends from Jacob are the children of promise, the remnant uh, the, as he's going to go on and say, the vessels of mercy. Not all of them are that. So there's, there's the, the whole category, the whole group of, uh, what do you call it, genetic Israel, biological Israel, those who physically descended from Jacob. And within that group are some who are, who are the children of promise, the vessels of mercy. So we're going to pick up now in, uh, in verse 22. And if you haven't been with us so far, you need to go back and, and look at the last several videos to catch up because there's a lot of important stuff there. So verse 22, translators don't really 
have an easy time with this. There's some hard things here. The word what is not in the in the original. And if you have the NAS, you see this little uh, index, this number one here, and it says down in, in the middle column or the end, uh, literally it's but. But if God, and it's the if that throws the translators off because if usually requires a then, an if-then statement, and he doesn't really give us a then statement. He kind of gets distracted <laughs> by kind of like what he did in chapter five. Um, so the if throws it off. But what Paul's saying here is, but God, and the, the verb is endured or bear, uh, uh, bear, bore with or carried. Uh, this word endured is really carried. God carried along. God bore on his back, as it were, vessels of wrath. That, that, that's the main clause in this verse. God carried vessels of wrath, or God bore wrestle, vessels of wrath. So again, think of the imagery of, of God carried along. He, he, there, there are all these vessels of wrath, vessels who deserve God's wrath and judgment and condemnation. And, and he, he just sort of dragged them along. He bore them along. Okay, that, got that imagery in your head? These vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Now, again, what we tend to do with this is we abstract this and we think all eternity, God's chosen some and, and rejected others. That may be true, but that's not the point here. Here he's talking about Israel. The vessels of wrath are the nation of Israel who have continued to commit idolatry against God. We read about some of them in Jeremiah just a moment ago. God says, how can I not punish them? How can I, how can I stand by in a nation like this and, and not pour out my judgment upon them? But he didn't wipe them all out. Even then, he didn't wipe them all out. So what Paul's doing is saying, look, the Old Testament speaks of this over and over and over again. These, these Jews who deserve God's judgment, God bears with them. He carries them along. They are, they're vessels prepared for destruction, but God is, is dragging them along. And then we get more description of God here. This phrase is a, uh, a participial phrase in the Greek that, that modifies God, tells us something about God. God is, is willing. The word all those is a little bit of an interpretation. God is willing to demonstrate his wrath. Do you see how we saw that in, in Jeremiah 9 that I read to you? God, he is willing to demonstrate his wrath. He, he wants to pour out his judgment on the Jews. He, he says that. I'm going to destroy the city. I'm going to wipe them out. It's going to be a, a, a haunt of jackals, a ruin. Wild animals are going to roam around the city because I'm going to wipe it out. He, he wants to do that. And it says he wants to make his power known. Now, if you've been following along and if you've been reading the Bible, you, you know that Paul already used that phrase right back up here to talk about Pharaoh. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up, Pharaoh. This is why I made you stand as king, to demonstrate my power in you. He raised Pharaoh up so he could judge Pharaoh. He could condemn Pharaoh and wipe Pharaoh and his army out to display his power. Same language down here. These vessels of wrath, these Jews that he's dragged along, that he's carried along with patience, not wiping them out completely. He did that. He wants to demonstrate his wrath and he wants to make his power known even on those Jews, those idolatrous Jews. And 
And then you see the New American Standard puts this whole phrase in here. We don't need that. And in addition to, to that, in contrast to that, and he desires to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. Among all of those Jews who were vessels of God's wrath, there were also vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. See, there's always been a remnant, always been a select group of Israel who were not objects of wrath, but were going to be his objects of mercy, his vessels of mercy and glory. You see that? And then Paul throws in this very interesting phrase, even us whom he called not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. So here the plan of God for having mercy and compassion, Paul is saying it's always included some Gentiles as well. Now, he's going to come back to that repeatedly, but then he quickly quotes from Hosea. I will call those who are not my people my people, and her who is not my beloved my beloved. Okay, so I told you at the beginning, if you're going to understand a text in the New Testament when they quote the Old Testament, you got to go back and look at the Old Testament. So we're going to do that. And I hope you'll stay with me here. I hope you don't find this laborious. This is why people get so much or have so much misunderstanding. They don't take the time to go back and do the hard work of seeing why Paul quotes this text. Or Peter does the same thing. All of them do. Why does he quote Hosea here? I will call those who are not my people, my people. So here's a little little test for you. Test yourself here. Paul said some of those vessels of mercy are called from among the Gentiles, right? You see that here. He quotes Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people. Now, if you're just reading this along, like we did, who does it sound like my people are here? He says, God is called from among the Gentiles. And then he quotes Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people. And you immediately think, oh, he's quoting Hosea who's talking about Gentiles. The Gentiles were not God's people. And God is predicting in Hosea that he will eventually call the Gentiles. Right? You see that? I will call those who are not my people, my people. These people were not my people. Now I'm going to call them my people, Gentiles. Well, let's go back and look at Hosea and see if that's true. All right, so Hosea is, uh, this is a graphic, graphic um, uh, prophet. He lived about uh, seven, eight hundred years before Christ. He was probably called to his ministry around 760, something like that. So if you know your Old Testament history, uh, the, the, the Jews were divided now into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Israel is the name for the northern kingdom. There are 10 tribes that make up that northern kingdom. Judah and Bethlehem, I mean, Judah and Benjamin are the, uh, the, the southern kingdom called Judah in the, in the book of, books of the prophets. And uh, in 722 BC, God destroyed the northern kingdom by, the, by Assyria. And then in 586, he destroyed the southern kingdom with Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon. Uh, so there's some gap there between when the northern kingdom fell and when the southern kingdom fell. But God sent prophets to both of them to warn them of the coming destruction because of their wickedness. Okay, So Hosea uh, is in about 760 time frame. So the, um, 
the northern kingdom is still intact and the so is the southern kingdom. All right. So we're not going to read all. I mean, I'm going to read a bunch of this. I won't, I won't go slowly through all this, but I want you to see the, the context. So the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, southern kingdom, and during Jerobo- the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, now, again, this is, these are, the Lord is, he's upset. <laughs> Here's what God says to his prophet Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. Imagine that. Now, so harlotry, a whore, prostitute. That's what he's saying. Go take yourself this, uh, this whore for a wife uh, and have children who are born by this whore, this prostitute. Now, most people think uh, God would never tell Hosea to go do this because that's a violation of his law. Um, and that's a, that's a fair point. Right? Did God command Hosea to go find a prostitute and marry her? Well, maybe. Um, I mean, that that is sort of the language that's used here, right? And uh, and yet we wrestle with that, thinking that that is that's a capital offense under the law. That that's something that Hosea would be should be put to death for. Would God command him to go do something that uh, deserves death? Uh, maybe, maybe to illustrate his point, but. Probably, more likely in my mind is, he's referring to this wife of harlotry, not because she, she has yet done it, but she's going to do it. Uh, you know, we, we have uh, language in our day, SOB, um, son of a, right? And, uh, and that's a slander against the mom and the, and the child kind of thing. And, and so is he calling her a wife of harlotry? And, and have children of harlotry because this is how she's going to act. So, you know, go pick a woman. She's of this nation that are full of whores is kind of the implication. So she doesn't have to actually be pro- prostituting herself yet because through the prophets, so often idolatry is described as adultery. God is saying, you chase after other gods the way an unfaithful wife chases after other men. See that? So by calling her a a wife of harlotry, he could simply be saying she is uh, among these people who are idolaters. But then she's going to commit actual adultery to illustrate the adultery of Israel. I I hope you're tracking with me. So anyway, so he says, go take a wife of harlotry, have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry. Uh, the whole nation of Israel, Judah, they're, they're just a bunch of whores, uh, a bunch of prostitutes. They forsake the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So he married this woman and she got pregnant. And the Lord said to him, name him, name the son Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, we're not going to take the time here, but this would be worth your time to go back and look up Jehu in the later, earlier in the, in the Old Testament. What did Jehu do that God has been enduring these vessels of wrath up to this point? This happened prior. This whole thing with Jehu happened earlier. Go back and read it. And God has not punished Israel for the sins 
of the house of Jehu. He has been patiently enduring, dragging along these vessels of wrath, but he is going to judge Israel for the sins of their fathers, namely Jehu, and the bloodshed of Jezreel. So he says, name your son Jezreel and know that I'm going to punish Israel and I'm going to put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel for the the sins committed by Jehu and Jezreel long time ago. God has patiently endured these vessels of wrath until now. You see you see that? On that day he says I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. All right. So there's more that can be said there but we got to move on because our time is already fleeing and we're not even Then she conceived again. So um Gomer is pregnant again. Interesting here, uh, here it says, she conceived and bore him a son, and that's Jezreel. Here it says she conceived and gave birth, and there's no connection with Hosea. Makes you wonder, is is she prostituting herself, and now this child is not Hosea's? Don't know, but it's possible. Anyway, she gets pregnant again, Gomer does, and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said name uh, her, Lo Ruhamah, which in Hebrew, Lo is the word for not. It's a negation. Ruhamah is a word for compassion. Name your daughter no compassion. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your wife gets pregnant, or if you're the woman, you get pregnant, and the Lord shows up and says, Here's the name you're going to give your child. No compassion. That'd be rough, huh? Why name her that? He says, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. I am so fed up with their wickedness, their idolatry, what he's calling their whoredom. You name your daughter, no compassion. I'm done with Israel. He says, but I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. Uh, interesting. He says, I'm, I'm done with Israel, but I'm not done with Judah. Later on, he's going to say the same thing to Judah, by the way. Then when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami. Lo, again, the negation, not. Ami means my people. So now there's another child and God says, now I want you to name your son, not my people. Hosea, name your son, not my people. Why? For you are not my people, and I am not your God. So Hosea has these three children. Name one of them Jezreel, because I am going to pour out my judgment on Israel because of Jehu's sin long time ago. Name your second one, no compassion, because I'm done having compassion on Israel. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. See that? I'm done with having compassion on Israel and name your third child, not my people, because I'm done with them. They're not my people. Do you see the context? This is Israel, not my people. You are not my people and I am not your God. And yet there's always a statement of mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. I'll harden whom I want to pardon, uh, harden, and I will have compassion and mercy. Look, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. If you know your Old Testament history, you know how that uh, applies to Abraham's offspring. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are sons of the living God. He says, I'm done with Israel. And yet 
I'm not. Not all Israel are Israel. There are some who are vessels of wrath who God wants to pour out his judgment on them. And he endures with them. He bears them. He drags them along until it's time to pour out his judgment. And yet within Israel, there's always a remnant, always some that he will show compassion on. When Paul quotes this in Romans, he's simply quoting what God has already said hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He says, and the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves one leader. Who do you think that is? It's the Messiah. And they will go up from the land. And then he goes back to a statement of judgment for it. Great will be the day of Jezreel. All right. He says, say to your brothers, Ami, my people, not lo Ami, but Ami, my people. And to your sisters, Ruhamah, say to your sisters, compassion. And then more hard things. Contend with your mother. Contend, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. And let her put, a, put her away, her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. And I will stri- or I will strip her naked and expose her uh, as on the day when she was born. I will make her like a wilderness, make her like a desert land and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children because they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. She will seek them, but will not find them. She will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. I'll go back to God. For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. You see that? He, this is describing, I blessed her with all these things, and she turned to me, went to these other lovers, and they treated her poorly. She couldn't track them down. And, and then she realizes, oh, my first husband, I'll go back. Therefore, I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season. I will also take back my wool and flax given to cover her nakedness. And I will then uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. I will also put an end to all her gaiety, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her festal assemblies. This is, again, judgment. I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. Not my husband, but my lovers. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field will devour them. I will punish her, God says. I will punish her for the days of the Baals when she used to offer sacrifices to them and adorn herself with her earrings and jewelry and follow her lovers so that she forgot me. You see how God is describing uh, Israel as is this unfaithful woman and who's forgotten her husband. Therefore, compassion, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, my husband. That's what the Hebrew means. And no longer call me Bali, my Baals. There's going to be repentance. He will have compassion and mercy on some. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them 
with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make them lie down in safety. Fascinating. We don't have time to get into all that, but it's interesting what he's describing there. I will betroth you to me forever. And yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. And it will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will sow her for myself in the land. I also will have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. All of that is the background for Paul saying, there are vessels of mercy prepared beforehand. He says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, her who is not beloved, beloved. And it shall be in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people there. They shall be called sons of the living God. There has always been those who God was ready to judge and pronounced wrath upon, but he didn't do it yet because he's waiting for something else. And Paul is going to go on and argue here through chapter 9, 10, and 11. The day has come, and we saw this, Jesus said this, the day has come to pour out his full and final wrath on the vessels of wrath, the Jews. He's going to pull the, pour out the whole weight of the covenant curses on Israel in Paul's day. And yet there are some who will receive mercy. And God has predicted this all along. And then Paul begins to unpack the mystery that there are some Gentiles as well who will be included as the vessels of mercy. All right, that's a lot. We're over time. I I know that. Uh, I try to keep this till about uh, 30 minutes or so, but um, I needed to get through all that to help you see. So tomorrow we'll come back and pick up uh, where we left off here and see where he continues to quote Isaiah. So if you want to get ahead of the game, look through the next section and see where he quotes the Old Testament, and go and read the surrounding chapters and see if you can figure out why he quotes from the Old Testament. Uh, if, if any of you want to ask a question or make an observation here, I'll give you just a second to do that because I don't want to just put you off and blow you off, but uh, I do want to be a little bit aware of the clock. But I see there's quite a few people hanging around here, so I'm open to something if you want to ask or if you have any comments. Um, and if not, then we will call it a day and, uh, and come back tomorrow and pick up there. And I realize there's a uh, there's a delay, so I'll sing you a song, tell you a joke, <laughs> do something to to uh, make some time. If you just joined us, by the way, we start a new NCST class next Monday, and uh, go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org, hit apply. We'd love to have you uh, for that. All right, I see no one saying anything. We'll call it a day. God bless. See you tomorrow. <laughs>